here with Dr. Ingrid Farrow. So welcome back to Bumper Sticker Faith. And um, back. And the last time we were on, we uh, talked about your book, Demystifying Evil. And it was early on, earlier on in that process. But now the book is ready to be uh, released in a few days uh, from now. So I'm really excited about that. As I indicated on the uh, the first episode, 59, um, it was a great book. Really enjoyed it. And I'm excited f- for people to read it and to um, um, explore uh, along with you Genesis, these early chapters, and then the problem of evil in our world. The subtitle of your of the book is uh, a personal and biblical exploration. Is that is that correct? Yeah, just reversed, but yeah. Uh, okay, a biblical yeah. or whatever, whatever the reverse yeah. of that is. There you go. Um, so um, I'm very excited for that. So welcome to the show <laughs> once Thank again. You. So, Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Um, how has it been talking about the book uh, as it's getting to be released with people? I've had some great conversations. I've been able to preach about it at uh, a church in the U.S., Singapore, and Norway. So wow. getting some diverse feedback, all with Q&A time and, and another multi-ethnic church up in Michigan. And so just hearing and having conversations with people, uh, taking time. You know, each of these was several, multiple conversations, talks, or, or preaching with Q&A times mm-hmm. and and just hearing all over the world, people have a lot of the same questions and everybody wonders, you know, what's going on. And and all over, I find people are confirming what mm-hmm. I've been finding before writing the book as well, that the church tends to not talk much about evil. And so that's the reason we tend to have a lot of confusion about what is good, what is evil, and uh, kind of a decline of even moral character. And, and you uh, really, so our cultures. you really put yourself out there too in the book with all with the per, with the personal stories. Uh, uh, it's I uh, haven't seen much like it in scholarly books like this. I mean, it's written for a popular audience too, um, but you are a scholar and uh, and your scholarship within the book too. But you wed together the the very personal stories. How have um, people been responding to that part of the book of, of the stories? Cause I find them very relatable and helpful. Yeah. I, I knew I needed to include it because even in my process of healing over the mm. last, you know, 15, 20 years, I found that when I started sharing my story, there was always someone who would come forward the first time to talk about an abuse, a trauma, something that they hadn't opened up and they felt safe because they knew that I understood and wouldn't judge them. Mm-hmm. And which is the sad thing. So often they would feel judged or, you know, God is mad at me or I don't have enough faith or what sin did you do, depending on what mm-hmm. faith quote, what tradition they come from, there would be these really negative responses. So so often people just clam up or they're so angry at God or they're leaving their faith or ready to leave their faith and and the fact that I, I didn't, I think, mm-hmm. is really surprising for a lot of people and mm-hmm. um, just encouraging people to wrestle it through. So so I told the story the way God taught it to me, mm-hmm. which was wrestling with my own questions, my own life experiences and those around me. And with friends around me, I include a couple of other good friends stories in there toward the end as well. And so, yeah, it makes a difference. And, and the sad thing about so many seminaries is 
so often we have a lot of head knowledge, but we don't integrate it with our personal lives, with our spiritual and personal very life journey. Uh, The problem of evil is not just philosophical. It's Mm -hmm. not sociological, not just theological. It's personal. And that's what we have to deal with. That's where we need to go. Mm, Yeah. Well, Today, I want to focus on uh, one particular chapter. It's a great chapter and one whose um, um, issues I want to unpack because it's unique. Uh, I haven't uh, heard much uh, teaching on it or preaching or discussion about it. And it's chapter 11, which is all about spiritual beings, angels, demons, gods, sons of God, all of that. Um, and it's, it's really eye opening and it flows right from the chapter before, but then right to the, to, to chapter 12 too, um, about the divine council, which I, I, I want to, I guess I, my goal is to get, get people interested, whet their appetite by a discussion of these different spiritual beings. So then they'll want to go out and get the book to read then chapter 12 or to read all of it really. Um, but, um, these are, I don't know, they're topics that you don't hear a lot about, but I think, uh, we're starting, I think our world is starting maybe to open up a little bit more to invisible realities out there. You mentioned in your traveling people, um, responding to the book and that, but like, I wonder, has, do you find that people are more open to invisible realities in this world? I am asked about that a lot, and it's uh, again, it's a topic. Um, depending on your, people's tradition, many churches don't talk about it. Yeah, and and then there's others that talk about it so much that it becomes weird, <laughs> and so it's it's sort of all over the place. But um, and that's why I needed to include a section on the unseen realm. You know, to use mm-hmm. the title of Michael Heiser's book, he was so helpful, such an excellent mm-hmm. scholar and help bring it into main, a little bit more into main, mainstream academia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and again, he's citing a lot of people, but there's a lot of information that's out there that just hadn't been talked about. And so uh, we do need to recognize that there is this unseen realm. And so even when I'm introducing these chapters, I, I refer to people even, you know, even in the uh, just a week and a half ago, talking to a group of people and, and uh, one of the, uh, you know, very, very bright, very accomplished Christian for a long, long time said, you know, I I don't believe that there are any, you know, spirits or demons or anything. He said, but I do believe in the Holy Spirit, but I, I just don't believe in any other, you know. <laughs> so, so he recognized, all right, there's a little bit of a contradiction. Yeah. Okay. You know, and what about angels? Well, I'm not sure, you know, so. Uh, so if there's one realm of spiritual beings, we've been so much of the West has just been arrogant mm-hmm. to think that, you know, there's no all the rest of, you know, Satan and demons and, and any other unseen realm that is does not exist. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember one very dear friend of mine who didn't believe in any anything, you know, a Christian, strong, theologically grounded. But um, one day called me in the middle of the night. Because she said, I talked to my husband and he said, I need to call you because there is something, I saw something outside my bedroom. I've gone all over the house 
there is nobody here, but I see something in my house. So I'm just calling you because I have no idea what else to do. So, you know, so I will get stories and some even more, you know, people being choked in the middle, you know, weird Mm -hmm. things that they realize, okay, there's something going on in in a realm that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And so even one of the stories I include in the book is, is from a, uh, an exorcism that was in a local newspaper because there were 800 pages of police reports and uh, DCF reports and so Mm -hmm. forth about just what to all of these official people were frightening, weird, and Mm -hmm. really scary because Mm -hmm. they were. And so we need to recognize that we are not alone in this world. And so even for those of us who do believe in God, have a faith in Jesus Christ, and even believe in the Holy Spirit, to look at the Bible and recognize. And, and so that's why I go through different sections where Scripture is pointing to mm-hmm. these different spiritual entities. So that's why, it, yeah, you're right. It's not the most exciting chapter uh, in the book, but I felt we I needed to say, here's what Scripture says about what are these Elohim, you know, Elohim we know refers to God, but then there's other references to Elohim, which is not Yahweh God, our God that we serve. And so just a description of what, how does the Bible talk about Elohim? How does the Bible talk about sons of God, B'nai Elohim? Uh, What are the, what are the terms? What does the Bible say about it? What does the Bible say about uh, demonic powers in the Old and New Testament and so forth. So just going through and here's what the Bible says. What are angels? Angels are messengers. Nowhere does it say they have wings. Uh, yeah. But it does talk about cherubim and seraphim. So we recognize um, Isaiah and Ezekiel. They were in the in the heavenly throne room and they saw and they're trying to describe it was like, and they're trying to describe mm-hmm. these beings. And so one speaks of these cherubim who do have angels or do have wings, but they're different from the seraphim. These are not angels. These are guardians of sacred space in the heavenly realms. Mm-hmm. These are guardians of the, the heavenly throne room. So the fact even that there are guardians of the heavenly throne room should give some yeah. kind of an indication that there's something else going on. You really, you really open up uh, for me uh, the invisible realm and mm-hmm. Like I've thought about it as looking at the visible realm. Um, there's God has placed creatures everywhere in the visible realm. Like if if there's space here in this world, you're liable to find some kind of creeping, crawling creature. You know, all over our bodies. You read, you know, you read about the germs and that that are there, and in in the woods, just everywhere. There's some kind of a a creature there if there's space. And there's such a variety of creatures too, visibly that we can see. And it, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense to me that in the invisible realm, that there's an equal amount of creatures crawling around, so to speak, packing that uh, world um, full. In um, C.S. Lewis's book, uh, The Discarded Image, he even uh, kind of says that if we could actually if we would realize how many creatures are in this whole cosmos, we'd, we'd become claustrophobic. <laughs> That's such a, such a great uh, image of it. Um, but, but like s- space, we, we think of space and outer space as empty in that. Uh, but according to the 
biblical cosmology or worldview, space is not empty. It's it's full of creatures. And so what you what you do then is is you populate that space for us and kind of give us an idea of what possibly could be in those uh, realms. And that's what's so what's so helpful about it. So I would like to go through and talk about each of the different categories if that's if that's sure. okay if that's okay sure. with you. Um, you you start off um, with the uh, Elohim, I think. Yes. Yeah. So you start off with Elohim, and um, yeah, beca- and and I, I get into like translations and that, but our our Bibles, you know, Matt call Elohim God, and we we usually think of that as just the the one true God. But you reveal that, no, the Elohim is used of many different kinds of beings. So the first one is Elohim. Talk about, the, talk about that. Yeah, and, and sometimes our translations are, are a little less helpful than they, they could be. Um, but um, but I, I remember even hearing Michael Heiser discuss what got him interested in the whole uh, yeah. unseen realm. And that was a friend of his in church said, hey, have take a look at Psalm 82 in the Hebrew, which of course, you know, he was a Hebrew PhD student at mm-hmm. the time and he didn't believe in, you know, he hadn't even really thought of anything in the unseen realm. And, um, and so, uh, and Psalm 82, uh, God takes his stand in the, the um, assembly of El. Uh, so an El being the singular form of Elohim. Mm-hmm. So he takes a stand in, basically his own congregation, and he judges in the midst of the gods. So translations, like my current translation says rulers, and then there's mm. a little subnote. Um, but so God is taking a stand in, in his assembly, in his own assembly, and he's judging in the midst of these gods. Um, and so, and there's so many passages. And so in the chapter, I just, I, I sort of show all of the different ways that this word uh, Elohim is used. It's simply used to refer to spiritual entities. Mm. It was just the common word for God. So we see even Exodus 15. And so all the way through Exodus 12, 12 talks about the gods of Egypt. Mm -hmm. And so even the Exodus itself, every one of the 10 plagues is Yahweh Elohim. So Yahweh being the covenant name of of God, of our Mm -hmm. God, the personal name. Uh, he is taking warfare against the gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so it's very specific. And and during each one of the plagues and so forth, he says that you may know that I am Yahweh God and there is nobody like me. So mm-hmm. Yahweh God is, there's nobody like him. There's nobody that can compete, but there are these spiritual entities that are also called gods with a small g. And so we need to recognize, and then there's a whole lot that goes along with that. I don't know if you want me to go into a little bit on the. You uh, have Joshua 24. I want to read. I'm going to read that Joshua 24:15 that says, "But if serving the Lord Yahweh seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods Elohim your ancestors served before or, or served beyond the Euphrates, or the gods Elohim." of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord Yahweh. So you see within that though, the distinction between even, even different people groups have Elohim. 
versus exactly. the one true God. Yeah. And there are so many different descriptions of the gods of all of these other lands. So, you know, uh, so, you know, Moses also said there's no one like uh, Yahweh, our Elohim. Uh, but yet again, he is defeating all of these other gods. And um, yeah, there, so there's there are conversations in scholarship and they're becoming a little bit more mainstream about uh, what some call the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. I don't know if you want me to get into that at all, but sure, I, I don't know about that. Yeah, uh, and so I I do include a, a section on um, on that. Okay, and um, and in, so in Deuteronomy 32 here, let me just flip. I back must have to forgotten that. about that. <laughs> There's a lot in there. It's uh, but um, so in Deuteronomy 32. So again, this is part of the Song of Moses. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, he separated uh, the, the sons of Adam, and he set boundaries to the people according to the number of the sons of Elohim. So um, hmm. a lot of the English translations say according to the sons of Israel, but that, the, the oldest documents uh, say the sons of Elohim. And it wasn't until uh, around, around the 5th uh, century AD that it was changed to Israel. Uh, and so, and then it continues on to, um, to talk about, um, you know, for example, that God's going to judge these entities that were given rulership. So that's why there's these gods of the nations and they're territorial gods of the nations. So originally they were given responsibility, but when they rebelled against God, then they became territorial gods. And that's when we look at war, that's. Mm -hmm. The spiritual forces that are at work mm. behind wars are these territorial wars, which in our current world situation between the Ukraine, Israel, Palestine, Russia, these are territorial wars. They're saying, this is my land. And they, they mm. want to expel anybody else that they think belongs to their land. You know, Hamas, they're dedicated mm -hmm. to purging the land. Same with Russia says, Ukraine, that's our land. We had it. So we're going to eliminate you in order to get it mm. back. So again, these territorial gods, you look at all the history of war, it's territory. And so, but wow. Israel was God's people. And so that's a difference. So the territorial gods don't care so much. And, and there's scripture that I include in mm -hmm. uh, the book as well to back that up, that uh, these territorial gods don't care about the people so much in the land. That's a secondary thing. Mm. But Yahweh cares about people. Mm -hmm. And from Yahweh's perspective, all the nations will eventually be his again eventually he will expel all of the other gods, will be dealt with. They mm -hmm. will be judged, which is in uh, Psalm 82, Psalm mm. 89, Deuteronomy 32, that God will judge the nations and the ruling entities that are over them. So speaking of ruling entities, you know, that the New Testament uh, simplest version of that, and we can yeah. see it in multiple places because it's, it's in the Acts. So there's a couple places in Acts that talks about it. But also the one that most people are familiar with is Ephesians 6, where we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, world rulers of darkness in this world and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So we recognize, mm -hmm. you know, Paul is very clear, there's a lot more going on than uh, we have wanted to pay attention to. That's what and I appreciate, like about... You pointing out and and Paul and yeah. pointing out that they make a distinction between earthly powers and then they'll mm -hmm. say heavenly powers, visible right. powers, 
or invisible powers. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I think we tend to read those and just think that he's, I don't know, may, maybe writing poetry, you know, just trying to right. really emphasize, I, I don't know, or be a, use a hyperbole, but, but, but he's demarking saying, no, there's visible powers and there's invisible powers. Like all of space, visible or invisible, has a different uh, power attached to it. And we need to be aware that that's, um, that that's going on. Now, you're not saying that these Elohim are like co-eternal with Yahweh or as powerful or as great as Yahweh, right? By no means. Yeah. And that's why in, uh, in Psalm 82, it says, you will die like men. Hmm. So they they are uh, wow. there is an expiration date. They will be judged because there is no one. When we look at Genesis one, there's no conflict. There is nobody else present. There's mm-hmm. nobody challenging. There is nobody like the our one Creator God, who is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and He does and will reign. Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. And yeah. so th- that's, you know, that's um, important for us to, to really recognize. Okay. And so, I, I, go ahead. No, you, you go. I, I just want to say also, because in uh, certain other, I've been in lots of different uh, denominational and non-denominational mm-hmm. circles over the years. And uh, there are um, some circles that try to pray against these Elohim and these, you know, these spiritual territorial gods, but we don't see that happening. Paul or none Mm -hmm. of them are doing that. They are speaking to human beings because Mm -hmm. the only way any of these entities have any power from Genesis three on the only authority, any of these malevolent spiritual entities have is if they can convince a human being, or in some Mm -hmm. cases, an animal like the pigs Mm -hmm. uh, that Jesus cast the demons out of, if they can get into the head of a person to do their will. So we're not to be afraid of them. We're not to, we don't need to attack them specifically. Mm-hmm. We need to come and help people change their minds. That's really and important. Choose, choose Yahweh God, choose Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. because Jesus took down every power and principality mm-hmm. and might and dominion this is at the end of Ephesians 1, and every name that is named both in this age and in the one to come. Hmm. So it is important that we're aware of these entities because they are at work. They do work through people, but our job is to convince people and talk to people through, uh, through prayer, through conversations, through writings in every way possible, song, the way we conduct ourselves in in the marketplace Mm -hmm. and show that the way of the Lord Jesus Christ is superior, that there is no God, that we serve no God, but the Lord Jesus Mm -hmm. Christ, and that we bring people to understand that, to transform their lives. So again, these are entities not to be feared, not to be worshiped, we're not to look under every rock and, you know, but we need to know that they're there and to not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And there are times we do need to take authority if if somebody is being personally harassed by one. But the main thing is mm-hmm. to be transformed in our minds. Um, That's right. Yeah. So the next, uh, another category that you have are sons of God. Um, yeah. And I really like the, um, uh, I was even thinking about this verse earlier this week, uh, unrelated, but Job 38 um, 
four through seven, where it talks about, it uses the sons of God, but in the process of creation, right? The sons of God like sang together, something like that, as yes. um, the world was being created. And, and I thought there is a view out there. I want to know what you think about it, where in, um, uh, when God says in Genesis two, is it, uh, let us make man in our uh, image that the that the pronouns us and our could be referring to the sons of God, you know, this divine counsel. What do you think about that view? Yeah, so Genesis one twenty six is where it says, "Let us okay. make humanity, Adam, humanity in our image according to our likeness," and that us and them comes back again in uh, the Tower of Babel. So it it, it comes back. So I I, uh, I break that out. And, there, and I also give reference to a particular scholar, Randall Garr, who did an extensive study of that, showing that, uh, that um, and, and his was very convincing, because people take different views. Mm-hmm. They say Genesis one twenty six that God is talking to the Trinity. Yeah, well, the we've Trinity. got the Trinity in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. We've got God the Father. Uh, we have the Spirit that's hovering, yep. and we have the Word of God who speaks. God mm. speaks. So we've got the Trinity there. Mm-hmm. We don't need to try to stick it into 126 because that would not have been the perspective of the early readers. And also, um, exegetically, if you really break it down and you look at the other uses of similar language, there is, it is reference to, um, you know, I have come to conclude that it is God speaking to the spiritual entities because God works in community. So he was saying, and mm-hmm. you mentioned the uh, the Job 38 passage, that the sons of God, which is referring to the spiritual entities that God created, just like we are also sons and daughters of the living God. So, But first, there were these spiritual entities uh, that are referred to in different places in Scripture, and everywhere they're referred to as spiritual entities, some who stayed on God's side, some who rebelled. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but yeah. So when the world, this universe, this physical universe was created, the spiritual entities and different levels of authority and and principalities and powers were already in place before this world was created. And God created it in community. That's how he has chosen to use his powers in community. I got uh, an image from, I think it was from the discarded image reading C.S. Lewis um, earlier this week. Um, when you're standing outside, you know, outdoors and you look up, uh, I think the modern materialistic worldview is just to see openness and empty space. But he suggests when you look outside, um, it's as if you're looking at a skyscraper. I don't know if he said skyscraper, but that's what I want to say. Like you're looking up at a skyscraper, um, and every every level is filled with you know all the floors of it. Windows are filled with different levels, different tiers of beings. And I just find I find that to be a helpful image. So in order to uh, I guess fight against this materialistic view that says that there is no invisible realm, that is just empty space. But no, when I go outside, I am I'm um, or when I'm anywhere, I'm looking into. Um, yeah, a realm that is populated, that there are tiers, like you mentioned, uh, at, at every level that that's full. Um, yeah. And, and a, a beautiful example from the Old Testament is Elisha, when the uh, 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 Arameans, they're coming to, to uh, um, 
to, was it the Arameans? Shucks, right now I can't remember. Uh, but anyway, uh, a group of 50 so, uh, uh, people are coming to take him away. And Gehazi, his servant, is all scared and said, oh, what, you know, what are we mm-hmm. going to do? You know, kind of like, we're going to die. And Elisha's perfectly calm and he just simply says, Lord, open his eyes. And suddenly he sees the chariots of fire completely surrounding them on all the hills. Yeah. And he recognizes that we're not alone. Yeah. And, uh, and it's simply our eyes are not open and yeah. to see all of the different realms that are, that are taking place and the, and the spiritual entities, but they're there. They're all I've, there. I've thought about that too, as far as are we, um, is it a matter of the further away from Eden that we get now, the more our spiritual vision has just been shut down, you know, uh, maybe That's- earlier in earlier times, even, even in like new Testament times, their, their vision, you know, their spiritual vision wasn't as fallen as ours. I know that sounds weird to say, but the, the more we buy into materialism, the more we get God out of our lives, the less actually we're able to see this uh, spiritual realm. And there are great saints like Elisha that, that are able to, you know, see the, into these realms, um, St. Francis maybe. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's not based on the, the, uh, the age or the generation, but it is based on the individual because there are individuals, mm. you know, now, um, in okay. the, who do also see things in the spiritual realm and, yeah. uh, and it's, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, I've, um, I, before I became a Christian, when I was very young, I used to dabble in the occult. And mm-hmm. so when I came to Christ in my late teens, I saw uh, de- demons coming mm-hmm. and trying to grab up my heart, mm-hmm. speaking to me, t- you know, um, basically like paralyzing me. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn to call in the name of Jesus wow. and take it, that I had authority that they didn't. But I had to learn who they were and to choose, no, I'm leaving that realm. And so it's, um, you know... It, so it's it's uh it they are all there and we mm-hmm. again we do need to be aware that um that these entities try to speak into our minds mm-hmm. and we have to so be aware of that but um in CS Lewis the screw tape in the screw tape mm-hmm. letters that's one of the things the uh, the senior devil says that especially for West, he said you know they, they um I have a friend from Malaysia and uh, and he said, um, uh, demons themselves contextualize, and so mm-hmm. they will do whatever is most efficient within the within cultural that culture to make mm-hmm. themselves and make Satan seem like it's not significant. Mm-hmm. And so, in our Western culture, it it just seems you know, intellectually inferior to believe that there are these other forces. Whereas certainly many parts of the rest of the world, um, you know, witch doctors and and different uh, spiritualists and so forth, um, shaman, they are seeing into that spirit realm. They're seeing spirit animals and things like that all the time. And there is a growing amount of paganism is is what it's called, like in Scandinavia Mm -hmm. and parts of the U.S. Uh, Satanism is huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's. I have a friend who had been uh, nearly sacrificed as a young girl in Anton LaVey's first church of Satan in Chicago. And uh, she was followed. She was miraculously survived it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
actually saw angels walking her out as a five-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so again, these, these things are really going on all around us. And, um, and I think as we're aware of them, but it's so important to not be afraid as Mm -hmm. a believer in Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And, um, and just to know that he took captivity captive. He has authority over all of these powers and principalities, whether they're working, and, and usually they're working through other people. But so we're not to be afraid of people or powers, mm-hmm. uh, but we have to know the word of God and we have to be knowing who we serve and to not leave ourselves vulnerable uh, to other entities mm-hmm. and their lies, which can get into our lives and mess us up. such a i've heard it said a, fl- a flattened view of the, of the world you know and of our lives of our individual lives we're, we're, yes. we're much deeper and richer th- than than we realize there's more that's going on so you also talk about uh the different family uh family rebellions um and one of those um the first one um was with uh, i think satan in the in the garden the second one in genesis 6 and the Nephilim. Should we get into uh, the Nephilim? What were yep. they? This this obscure passage from Genesis uh, six one through one through four, I think. Yeah, and I think most, uh, I, many scholars and uh, have said it's that have called it probably the most obscure passage in all of Scripture, and I have okay. to agree. Uh, and so we we do see little glimpses, and I still am intrigued by it. I haven't mm-hmm. really come up with a conclusion yet. Um, and we know that, uh, Jude and, and, uh, Peter quote first Enoch, which is not a biblical book, but, but yet that is referring to the watchers. It, it refers mm-hmm. to basically the, the, uh, Genesis six chapter, chapter six, just four verses, one through four, uh, where the sons of God saw the daughters of Adam, uh, that they were, and the, the Hebrew word is good, so it's translated beautiful, and they took them. And then, um, again, different exegesis, I am convinced that now that it is the spiritual entities that did have sexual relations with human women and created these beings mm. that uh, were in the world. And so, um, and then you see Nephilim, and related to Nephilim are the um, Anakim, and the Rephaim, so these these different entities that are all, it's a little bit foggy, and I'm still wrestling with it myself, mm-hmm. even though I keep studying and asking questions, but there's just, I won't go beyond what scripture says, mm-hmm. but I look with curiosity on uh, on the book of Enoch and, and so forth, just to recognize that, um, that there are, uh, there were these, it, it was a rebellion of these spiritual entities along with human beings to produce these um, not no longer human beings, some kind mm-hmm. of a crossbreed kind of thing. Transhumanism is sort of what some people use that term. So sometimes it can get really funky. And I just also just encourage a little bit of caution, read, be aware, 
Uh, and uh, but at the same time, don't get too crazy about it because mm-hmm. I've really hurt seen some crazy, crazy things about it. But um, but yet it's it's real. And um, Heiser and some others also talk about even the uh, the book of Joshua that because there's special uh, there are special um, commands to get rid of these Anakim that are seem to be related to the Nephilim, these spirit beings that aren't really people. So we've got these giants, this indicates mm-hmm. giants and so forth. And there's some funky stuff out there that I've seen uh, that that really blows my mind a bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, the, so that was the second rebellion. The third rebellion is in Genesis 11. And uh, it wasn't um, as malevolent as the Genesis 6, because the Genesis 6 led to humanity being completely lawless, being mm. corrupting the, the the earth, corrupting the world, and uh, by the violence or the lawlessness of their hands. And that word corruption is a very particular word that's that's sort of the the highest level of malevolence. Um, and it's used in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's used in the incident of the golden calf. That is, it's a kind of rebellion against God that that receives a death penalty, a divine death penalty, because they have so corrupted uh, other humans and and spilled so much blood. And that led to the flood then. Right. That's what led to the flood. Yeah. But then the uh, the third rebellion in the opening of Genesis is the Tower of Babel. And that is where humanity comes together and it talks about their unity. And it says, you know, we're going to build a, a temple that, you know, a, uh, a staircase to heaven. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to build something where we can meet the gods ourselves, essentially. And um, and their unity, uh, God looks and says, these people are united, and so they are, they will have a lot of success in this. So the and and God's whenever there's a divine uh, punishment, it, it's always very precise as to what the crime is. And so in this case, what they were doing is they were being unified to try to come against God. And so what God does is he separates them. So the opposite of unity is separation, mm-hmm. and he separates their languages. But that was the third major rebellion in the opening chapters of Genesis. And uh, and then after that, then God basically starts. So Noah was a start again. Uh, Abram then becomes the next start again. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You talked about the watchers too. The watchers are in Daniel, yes, uh, Daniel four, uh, mm-hmm. I think. Um, Egregor from the uh, from the Septuagint from the Greek, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Gibberim. There's there's all kinds, mm-hmm. way more than you know than than I realized. Yeah, but there's also angels that that those are kind of the shifty. <laughs> kind of creatures, but uh, what about angels and archangels, heavenly armies? Uh, let's get into angels and and um, do we have guardian angels even? Yeah, there's no specific talk of guardian angels. Um, uh, there are angels, the word angels, malachim, uh, is um, an angeloi, is, it's a word for messenger. Okay. So as there are divine messengers, there are also human messengers. So that same word can is mostly used for spiritual beings who are sent with a message or with a particular purpose from God. Um, even Hebrew talks about uh, angels as being um, ministers 
sent to serve those who are to be heirs of salvation in Hebrews 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Psalm 103 talks about angels who always do the, the bidding of, of Yahweh God. And so, so there are those angels that are messengers from God, um, and they do act on behalf of saving people sometimes, mm-hmm. which is where that guardian angels comes in. Mm-hmm. I have my own story. I've heard of different uh, people telling stories of of just like somebody showing up who looked like a person, mm-hmm. uh, but just suddenly being there and then being gone after yeah. helping them. You know, yeah. so many amazing stories of that. So that's where we do get the idea of guardian angels, but they are messengers from God. Uh, God is the one who sends them, though. We we mm-hmm. can't, we're not supposed to pray to our, to angels or ask that. They obey God, not us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we ask God, sometimes God may send an angel if there's not a human being to come and help us mm-hmm. in a situation. So how about the, the, cher- the cherubim and the seraphim? Are they angels technically uh, what are they yeah the the uh that was you know as i was studying that that was a bit more new to me as well um they they are they're hybrid figures is the term that you know those who really as you study them so they they combine both human and and sort of animal attributes mm-hmm. in a spiritual body uh and these are the the creatures that are located in the heavenly throne room. Mm. So they're protectors of the presence and the holiness of God, which is really mm. awesome. They're, they're guardians of sacred space. And so cherub is the singular. Uh, they look nothing like the little uh, Renaissance mm-hmm. paintings of little fat babies <laughs> with wings. You know, I mean, that's completely <laughs> off. Darn it. <laughs> Not little chubby babies. Yeah. Uh, but uh uh, cherubim are mentioned more than 90 times in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament, which is just fascinating. Mm. And so first in Genesis 3.24, after humanity has been sent out of the garden, cherubim with flaming swords in their hands are now guarding because they're guardians of sacred space. And the garden was sacred space. That was the Holy mm. of Holies in the physical realm. Mm-hmm. And so now they are guardians of uh, to protect uh, humans from getting to the tree of life again. Mm-hmm. And so um, they're also referred to, Ezekiel calls them anointed guardian cherub, uh, appointed to the holy mountain of God. You know, that's in Ezekiel 28. So, um, so at and any the, rate- And the mountain of God would be the Garden of Eden, right? The Garden of Eden, or sometimes the mountain of God is simply uh, used to refer to the place where God dwells. It's sort okay. of imagery, ancient Near Eastern imagery used to refer to that. So, Are these the ones with the the, fa- the faces of the ox and eagle and lion and the yes. human? Yes. Okay. Crazy, crazy. That's a hybrid kind of, yeah. yeah. Or- oh, no, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yes, in Ezekiel's vision, um, he yeah, he's the one that that refers to them. So a man, a lion, an eagle, uh and um and then yeah, and and under their wings they have human hands and you know, mm-hmm. so uh I just find that really like rich and beautiful to think that the beings that God keeps the closest to him, you know, to protect his glory and honor are are like animal and human it seems like the beings that i like if i were making it up i would say that he would place i don't know the the holiest angelic creatures right by him the more 
um, the, the, the less animal or human, but he has like an ox, <laughs> you know, these creatures with an ox face and my face, you know, and a human face and an eagle and a lion. Um, I just find that that's just beautiful. It's ironic, but beautiful. It is. It is. And, and they, they do specifically, they do have wings. And then uh, mm. the seraphim are referred to in Isaiah's vision in Isaiah uh, chapter six. And so, and they're also guardians. So seraph is a word that it can mean burning. So they're, mm -hmm. whether they're uh, like lit up on fire or whether it's just that they're bronze and shiny, but whatever mm. they are, and they've got three pairs of wings, mm. you know? So again, just these incredible creatures uh, that, uh, you know, that are guardi guardians of sacred space. Um, mm. And humanity, we were supposed to be guardians of sacred space. Mm. That is still our calling as priests, uh, as a royal priesthood. We are supposed to be guardians of sacred space mm. here in the earthly realm. And so that's why I love it. If we can even envision these heavenly beings mm. and get a bit of a picture of we're supposed to be shining ones here in this earth. And uh, so I kind really of love like that. pulling that together too. How do how do we do that? Yeah, first it's a, a commitment and dedication. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something the Lord just keeps speaking to me. Even even this morning, again, you know, I was I was you know unhappy about something that happened, and and uh, was like, who? What am I here for? Mm -hmm. You know, do I know my mission and call from God's perspective? Mm -hmm. Not just what do I want or what sounds good to me, but am I actually willing to truly? Um, serve God's purposes in this earth. And so it becomes a challenge as well, because God will not withhold any good thing from us. But he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added. But I don't seek first the things that I want to be added and complain. Um, so, and, and that is so much of the challenge, even like my, my chapter on Job, which is in the next chapter, chapter 12, um, I include a section on Job and some others where it's like, where, where we see the divine counsel and mm -hmm. these, these things coming in. And, um, and so some of um, Hasatan's, you know, the, the accusers accusation was against God, accusing God of, of not judging correctly and showing preference and protecting mm -hmm. Job and, you know, and that Job is only serving you because he gets everything he wants and you protect him. Will he still serve you? Will he still love you? Uh, or will he curse you if he no longer has everything that he wants? And what a challenge. What an interesting concept. So, so then our calling is to, yeah, to protect that glory of God, that the mm -hmm. honor of God when the accuser comes in this world, in our lives and saying, um, no, God isn't good. He He isn't the highest thing. He isn't the greatest thing that you should be going after, going after and and our our protection of that is to say no he is and you know though though he slay me i'm going to still i'm going to still praise him like polycarp when he was being burned alive he said for 86 years i've served god and he's done me no wrong how can i deny my master now yeah yeah and it's not like god needs protection but yeah. it, it's but we are protectors of this earth hmm. this that was our mission was to to protect this earth from evil forces and to spread the goodness and the shalom, the, the peace and the, the abundance of God throughout the earth. And the way that we, one of the ways that we spread the goodness of God throughout the earth is stopping corruption and evil. 
stopping those things that destroy. And, um, and so that is, so our protection is we protect against the evil forces because God mm. doesn't need our protection. Yeah, that's true. That's but true. we protect others from the evil and, and even the, mm. the creation itself. We have responsibility. It was our responsibility to protect it, mm -hmm. to represent God in the physical world. How about Michael and Gabriel, these archangels? Yes, they're awesome. Who, and, who are uh, they? Yeah, they they are so they are messengers, but you know, arch arche means you know rulers or mm -hmm. you know um, so they are ruling beings uh, that are, bring messages, messenger messages. That's the word, mm -hmm. ruling beings that bring messages. So that's why we see in the book of Daniel. That's why we see Mary and Joseph and so forth having these encounters with ruling when there's a really important message that needs to come through that's on a national or a, a global scale then, you know, God, so God will send messengers at different times, but these are ruling messengers. Uh, and, uh, and that's, you know, the, the, the prayer and so forth of Daniel, in one case, his prayers answered really quickly. The other takes three weeks mm -hmm. uh, because there was a conflict going on. Now, again, I, I wrestle with some things because that mm -hmm. was before Christ, but after Christ, you know, Christ took authority over all of these powers and principalities, um, but they're still active uh, mm -hmm. until he returns. And we are the we are the ground forces to be bringing in God's kingdom and God's government and God's reign on this earth, and stopping the corruption and the death and the 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 um, wrongdoings that are in rebellion against the things the goodness that God wants in this world. So mm -hmm. it's yeah, it just becomes a really interesting as we learn what is our spiritual. We need to know our legal rights in the spiritual realm as well. Mm. Is um, Satan um, from Ezekiel 28, I, I believe, is that the passage? Is he a fallen uh, cherub or seraph? Yeah. I forget, and, I forget what you said about that, but. Yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, it it he does seem to be a cherub who, and, and I know there's, you know, different scholars and so forth, but the For more sure. that, the more that I look at it uh, in, you know, and read about it and read what other people have to say and so forth. Um, prophecy so often, the prophets in the Old Testament, they will start in an earthly realm with a with a current or a current situation. And then as the prophecy goes on, it it like starts to uh go off into kind of another uh, you know, mm -hmm. I don't think we're in Kansas anymore kind of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, so it yeah. starts in Kansas and then it goes on. And so we see that because there are these patterns. There are patterns all the way through scripture. And so it's following a pattern. And so it begins with the king of Tyre, it begins with worldly leaders, but then it goes on. And all of a sudden it's that pride of the king of Tyre who's trying to assert himself over the natural realm. All of a sudden he's seeing like the the... What is the power behind the king of Tyre? And mm. that's where this seems to go because he he says, you were in Eden. Well, the king of Tyre was certainly not in Eden, the garden of God, and starts referring to the precious stones and so forth. Uh, and, and in verse, uh, so this is Ezekiel 28, verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. So again, it does indicate uh, he's not, it's, he's not given a name here as Satan or anything, but it comes to be understood through New Testament language, that this entity was was the power behind uh, and 
and as I take it, speaking through the, the serpent and so forth, one that had ruling authority who chose, I don't want to just serve God anymore. I want to be served. Thank you very mm. much. <laughs> so that's always the basis. And that was the temptation in the garden not to not serve God, but to be God. And mm-hmm. so all of the ruling entities, whether earthly or spiritual, they can be differentiated by, do they want to be God, being the one in control, being the one who's judging and deciding what's right and wrong? Or are they going to humble themselves before the Lord and say, you alone are the Lord God. You alone know your your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. And I'm going to trust you even when it doesn't all make sense, I'm going to still seek you to figure out and until I can make enough sense of it. But even mm. if we don't still, it's so that's the distinction. But yeah, Ezekiel 28, I do take it uh, now as referring to uh, the one who would become uh, Satan. So kind of the last categories, I uh, just want to mention uh, briefly you uh, um, from Ephesians uh, chapter one. Um, no, this is, yeah. Um, but you talk about the powers, the authorities, the principalities, uh, and the rulers. So the powers, the dunamis, the authorities, the exousia, principalities, the arche, and the rulers, um, the archontes. <laughs> um, but those are also different specific categories. And are they like maybe ranks or tiers of authority um, that the New Testament outlines? Yes. And interestingly, the New Testament does get its language from the Septuagint of the Old Testament, oh, yeah. uh, which okay. also translates the words as principality, you know, the, the, uses those same words that we then translate into principalities and powers, thrones and dominions. Mm. So there are these indications of different levels of rulership. And, and they're simply copies because, you know, again, Satan, Jesus calls Satan a liar and the father of lies. That mm-hmm. means he can't do anything original. All he can do is take and pervert or distort uh, the plans that God has. And so he makes a copy. And so um, so from, from all of this, we can see there's a spiritual realm of these, uh, these authorities, you know, the cherubim, seraphim, archangels, angels. Uh, and so also in the spiritual realm, there are these different levels of authorities, um, some over nations, some over individuals, some are just minor you know, demons, some are going to die, you know, it's so, yeah, we, we get a really great glimpse, but of course in the new Testament, once Jesus took authority, then it would make sense that it would be able to give a more full explanation of the spiritual realm that we don't have in the old Testament. Cause in the old Testament, they did not have the authority of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So, so to lay it all out there would have been just really <laughs> hard and frustrating because they had not yet the authority over them had not yet been given. So you close the chapter, you say, in sum, this chapter has displayed a range of spiritual beings that inhabit the invisible and visible realm, representing benevolent and sinister powers that influence the thoughts and actions of humans to bend either towards God's will or to any and every other will in opposition to God's purposes. Okay. So then you say, recognizing the complexity of the spiritual as well as the earthly realm lends to First of all, so I want to talk about these different things that this recognition lends itself to. You say, first of all, it lends itself to an an appreciation for the fact that uh, people often have difficulty trying to figure out what hit them when evil slaps them in the face. 
I think that's really, really important. Like having an understanding of this uh, helps us to realize that there's more to my life than often meets the eye. Because we, I think every person can probably relate to the fact that you're suddenly in a situation or a moment when, you know, the numbers just don't add up and it feels like more is, is going on. And, and you're saying perhaps there is more that's going on, correct? Yes, absolutely. And of course, Paul in, uh, in Corinthians talks about um, taking our thoughts captive, but also, you know, just uh, how does, uh, right now I'm forgetting how he says it, but, but basically, you know, we do need to be aware of Satan's schemes. Mm-hmm. And um, and so when when something does again when evil does slap us in the face we need to take a step back take a deep breath and say all right where's this coming from and seek God and say because even if it's a person who came against us again going back to Ephesians six we're not just fighting flesh and blood is there a spiritual force behind that that is mm-hmm. trying to take me down in some way uh, so again when you would think of categories of steal kill and destroy. Uh, kill the 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 word of God in us. Uh, kill people that we you know. Is it stealing, stealing, killing, and destroying something that is of worth, value in the kingdom, and mm-hmm. value in my life? Uh, even the word curse of the two Hebrew words in curse, the main one used to people is to belittle, to make small. Is that mm, comes from wow. that root word. So anytime somebody's belittling you or making you small, it's like, all right, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. But yeah, just being aware that there are these other entities and asking God for wisdom to see and to understand mm-hmm. better what is the scheme behind this, because things don't just happen. Yeah. And a lot of times we feel trapped mm-hmm. in situations. And I'm thinking of people in my life now who I know that like that they're, they feel trapped. And when, whenever you feel trapped that is like one of the worst places to be in because as you start to do things that just shouldn't be done, you start to act out or just go to a place that's not healthy for you or the people around you. So being trapped is a, is a, is a horrible place to be in. But like with this, we realize, no, there's always something that you can do. You can fight back through prayer, through spiritual activities, um, through, um, going to church through worship, through getting to, you know, these different, there's different things that we, that we're never trapped. There's different things that we can do. Yes. Yes. And it's finding out from the Lord. And one of the other things that, uh, that I've thought of in, in uh, recent times is when you're speaking to somebody and suddenly there seems to be no ability to be logical, mm-hmm. then I think, I think there's something spiritual behind this. When you know you're being logical and suddenly they're just freaking out mm-hmm. or it's like saying things that where there's absolutely no logic and you're looking mm-hmm. it's kind of stepping back like and you're trying to be logical. The more mm-hmm. logical you get, the more illogical they get. You know, mm-hmm. and I think we've probably all experienced that. Then it's it's I take a step back and, and I no longer it's like, OK, I'm wasting my time trying to be logical. There's some spiritual element mm-hmm. and it could be something tied to a trauma. But again, spiritual entities like to bond with our traumas mm-hmm. and keep us held there. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes, you know, it's uh, like I, I think of Second Corinthians four uh, it says, if uh, starting with verse three, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
in whose case the God of this world has mm. blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, mm. who is the image of God. And so, again, there's you know so many other passages that in the New Testament that talk about being aware that there's something else going on. And then just stopping and going to God and say, Lord, I need wisdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, even James 3 talks about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God and contrast that in James 3. So, and even there, the wisdom talks about earthly, earthy wisdom, you know, more animalistic wisdom, sukikos, psychological wisdom, mm. and demonic wisdom. Mm. And so we have to recognize that when somebody is being worldly wise, uh, it could be coming from three different sources, mm. plain earthly, you know, just plain fleshly, psychological, or spiritual, mm. demonic wisdom. I recognize that. I recognize yeah. that within myself. Yes, <laughs> when exactly. I, when I'm not responding to logic, you know, when there, yes. there's, I, re- I see that in, in me. Yeah. Uh, another um, area that this lends itself to is an appreciation um, for the magnitude of the universe that God is administra- administering. Yes. Uh, I love that, that you, that you point that out, that God is, um, yeah, the magnitude of the universe that he's in, in control of and running. And, and like I said before, chapter 12 goes into more of the dynamics of that. Um, but that helps me to just be very grateful and worshipful to God for the job that he's doing from his throne. And then the third one, um, you say is, and it clarifies the magnificence of Christ who between the resurrection and his return is bringing every principality, power, and authority into captivity through the church. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15. Yeah. And that is, yeah. Yeah, that kind of just says it. It it does. Yeah. Maintaining a position of humility and saying, Lord, there's so much more going on that I'm aware of. Help me to see what I need to know. And that's one of my common prayers. Lord, show me what I need to know. And, yeah, uh, and, and you, then help you, me have a strategy. I like the word that you use too, uh, to retune, to retune mm-hmm. our thoughts more accurately and hearing God's word and attune our, our actions more precisely with God's purposes. Um I like that to be to be retuned um, to the to the spiritual realm. So the um, last thing I want to talk about is um, like how how do you think that the uh, church, so as a body, that we can better attune ourselves to these realities? Yeah, we uh, one we need to get a better vision of who we are. Hmm. what our purpose is in this world uh, that God has given us, you know, and, and some of that includes just knowing what does it mean to be an image bearer uh, that the church uh, and that the church does have responsibility for how things go here. Um, we need, hmm. there's been so much of a focus in the Western church on conversions and not enough on discipleship hmm. And uh, not helping people walk through their hurts, their traumas, their pain, and so forth, their suffering, uh, helping just walk with, walking with people. Uh, we, mm-hmm. We're way too isolated. And so we need to be coming alongside and really getting people grounded in the word. You know, it's 
it, it's, it's so much of the church friendly, you know, just come in and we want you to just feel comfortable. It's like, no, it's, that's a start. But if we, if that's where we end, we're going to be completely ineffective. You know, I love at the end of the prayer in Ephesians three from this really uh, talks about knowing the love of God, you know, and, uh, but it concludes to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Mm. So we sometimes will just say, God, why aren't you doing something? And the Lord's trying to say, I have placed my power in you. Mm. Go and do it in my name. And so we're just, you know, like, why didn't, you know, God, why didn't you do something? Like there's this great song by Matthew West. You know, I shook my hand, my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? And, and then, of course, he said, I did. I created you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we need to pick up that mantle and say, I am the answer to the problem here. If mm-hmm. God has placed me here and the problem is in within my realm of mm-hmm. influence in life, then, Lord, what is it that you want to do through me? Let your power work through me and not just like, oh, I'm nothing. It's like, it doesn't matter who, who is God and what does God want to do in me and through me. Lord, show me what I need mm-hmm. to know. So just like God has the invisible divine counsel, perhaps the church is his visible divine counsel here on earth, which really, um, that affects the way that you do show up at church. Like, it's not just about being converted and that, but we have jobs to do to administer God's purposes and his ways here on earth. Uh, because we're part of his visible divine council called the church. Absolutely. We've forgotten what it, what, yeah. who the church is. Uh, you know, we bring somebody to church so that the pastor can talk to them. We've forgotten that every one of us are living stones. Every mm. one of us, if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, every one of us are ministers of the good news and have mm. a job to do. And wherever we are placed in our work, in our life, in our community, in our situation, in our grocery shopping, mm-hmm. there's something that God wants to be doing in and through us. And mm-hmm. we've forgotten who we are. We need to remember who we are again. Yeah. Well, good. So your book, Demissifying Evils, coming out. I, I want people to, to order it, get a copy, uh, and um, just dig into this really rich um, conversation and topic that you're uh, peeling away and helping us see into. And this, we just explored uh, chapter 11, which um, as, as, as you've heard um, reveals or uncovers so much more to our lives than maybe we we've realized and um, helps us to wrestle with evil. So the book as a whole though, really helps people to wrestle with the, um, the problem of evil and our purpose in that through your, your personal story. And um, I encourage people, yeah, to go uh, get the book and um, grow in these ways. Any, um, any other thoughts that you have that we haven't mentioned yet? I just thank you. This has been a really fun uh, conversation and one that I don't get to have often enough, but I think we need more of. So thank you so yeah. much for inviting me into this conversation. Really yeah. appreciate it, Sam. We do. I hope, I really hope people start to see, start to use their spiritual imagination, even at first to 
to see these uh, the powers and principalities and all that is at work in our lives and that we would engage more seriously in the invisible realm and take our church attendance and our uh, job responsibilities, our family responsibilities with the seriousness that uh, um, that, that God, God's calling uh, is for us. So that's my hope and prayer. So thanks everyone for joining us um, for Bumper Sticker Faith this episode. And uh, to learn more, go to bumperstickerfaith.com. And that's all for today. We'll see you next time.